0: Good morning, church. I want you to know it is good to see you. And I want you to know who are joining us online, it is good to have you with us. We're glad to be able to meet, whether in person or online. our line. We're glad to be able to gather for worship. We're glad to be able to sit under God's Word. We're glad to be God's people. Amen? Amen. We continue this morning in our series... In 1 Peter, hardships, holiness, and hope. Peter's writing to Christians in the first century who have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire because of persecution. And he calls them in the very first verse, exiles, because that's literally what they are. They have no home. They've been scattered from their home. They don't, they don't, they're not in community with their own people. They've, they've been set, scattered all throughout. And, and he's telling them, it's okay. That's who you are. And he's, and he's telling us that that mindset of exile is exactly how we ought to live here. That this is not our home. He wants to teach us that as we live on earth in the midst of hardships, we can still pursue God's holiness We can still be the people that have been set apart for God. And throughout the letter, he says, look, I know you're going through hardships. I know you're going through trials, fiery trials, he'll call them later in the book. And I know the call to to pursue holiness is hard. But he continues to remind him over and over, you have this hope, this amazing hope that will sustain you now through it all until you see Jesus face to face. Today's message is the power of God's word to change us. The power of God's word to change us. In this section that was just read, Peter is calling Christians, us, to love one another. That's the main thrust of this passage. Love one another. But he knows something that we all know intuitively as well. He knows that just telling people to love each other won't magically cause them to love each other we know this is true if you are a parent you know this is true one of the great challenges of parenting is knowing that even though I as a parent I'm flawed I get it I'm not a perfect parent but I I know that I have much more experience and knowledge uh, about how life works and about just how to be a decent human being than my child does and yet at every stage of development they think they know better and so I could tell them all I want, that they should do something, and my command to them or my telling them doesn't change them and cause them to do it. When you tell your toddler, don't snatch that toy from your friend or from your sibling, what do they say? Mine. Right? Mine. Just one word answers. Right? It's logical. No, it's not yours. We share. No, mine. Mine. When you tell your preteen or teenager why they shouldn't make fun of their sibling or their friend or whoever it is, they just roll their eyes and act like you have no idea what life is like. You see, as a parent, I can tell my kids all day that they ought to love others. But telling them isn't enough. I have to actually show them why they ought to love. And more importantly, and this is where Peter is going to, as a Christian, I have to show my children that it's actually impossible to love without a supernatural power greater than them. That's what Peter is telling us here. This is not just a command to love and grow spiritually, which it is. Peter is reminding us, we have this power source that will enable us to love and to grow the first lesson, God's new life in you leads to love. God's new life in you will lead to love. Look what Peter says in verse 22 of chapter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Notice that? Kind of a purpose statement. Why have you been purified? For a sincere brotherly love. And then the command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. What's he referring to? He's referring to when you got saved, to your conversion. It's another way of saying having believed the gospel of Jesus Christ having understood that you are more wicked than you ever imagined but now in christ you are more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope having understood that having that message purify your heart having been set apart by god having been declared by god holy remember pastor brady he took that pot we were in a smash pile literally And God rescued us out, and he made us his own. And by doing that, we are declared holy, set apart. We are who we are now, God's own. And he says, now that you've been set apart for a purpose, here's what that purpose looks like, a sincere brotherly love. Meaning God purifies us spiritually through our union with Christ in order for us to love one another genuinely. Notice brotherly love, the term there. That's phileo, the, where, where we get the Philadelphia, right? It's a city of brotherly love. That's friendship love. It's, it's coming together kind of love. It's side by side kind of love. It's a caring kind of love. But then he goes deeper. He says, here's the command, love one another earnestly. That word love there is the word agape. It's a deeper kind of Love. Than brotherly love. It's a, it's a sacrificial, loyal love. It's a love that I'm going to stick with you no matter what. It's a love that says, even if you hurt me, even if we hurt each other, we're not going anywhere. We're as committed to each other. Why? Because love bears all things, hopes all things. That kind of love never fails. That's what he's calling them to. He's making a connection back to the previous section when he called us as Christians to pursue holiness. He's saying, now that you've been declared holy, made holy through the blood of Christ, here's what holiness looks like. Love. Genuine love from a pure heart. As Christians, listen to me, as Christians, one of the first marks of genuine growth in holiness is an earnest love for fellow believers. Did you know that? Or to put it in a different way, if you are not growing in love you are not growing in holiness. I know that's harsh, or that sounds heavy, but that that is what holiness looks like. Peter tells us, you want to know what it looks like to be set apart? You want to know what the purpose that God set you apart for? Because anything that is holy always has a purpose. Here's the purpose, he says. Love each other deeply. Peter's point, if you are a Christian, you've been so radically changed in your soul that you can actually obey this command to love one another. Now, the, the people that, that Peter was writing to are exiles. Right? They've been scattered, which means they're very diverse. There would have been Jews and Gentiles reading this. There would have been people from various classes in society, from slaves all the way up to freedmen. And Peter says, your calling is to live as Exiles. This world is not your home, but remember, the people that you are journeying through life with are your brothers and your sisters. In other words, you need them, and they need you in order to run this race. There are no lone rangers in Christianity. If you want to run alone, you're basically saying you want to fail the Christian life. If you want to run the race with endurance, you look unto Jesus, but you also have this great cloud of witnesses and you run together. That's what he says. Love earnestly, because that's what holiness looks like. Did you know that our church is also incredibly diverse, just like the churches that Peter was writing to? Our church is culturally, socially, economically, politically diverse, and that's a good thing. I mean, listen, you have one of your pastor's parents immigrated from Egypt. That's pretty cool, at least to me it is. One of your other pastor's parents immigrated, they're from Indiana. I mean, think about it, as far as you can be, right, so culturally. Pastor Bill's from the country known as Indiana, and we love him for it. We are incredibly diverse politically, economically, however you, where we, where we live. And that's a good thing. You know why that's a good thing? Please understand this. It's a good thing because it shows that those things are not what unite us. But Jesus does. If we were all the same, this would just be the, uh, an affinity group. This would just be, uh, you know, a group of people who like to play golf. And that's fine. Anyone want to play golf, I'm in. But that's not what unites this church. We're not united by being Democrats or Republicans, and that's a good thing. And so the call is the same for us as it was back then, as Peter was writing to these Christians Grace Baptist Church, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Don't just love in words, love in action and in truth. Show love in meaningful ways. You know what I mean? Share a meal with somebody. Cook a meal for someone who has a need. Spend time with them. Go to your small group. Listen to them. Honestly, you, you say, I don't have anything to give. You can just show up. You don't need to fix someone else's life. You just need to be able to listen and affirm and pray for them. That's love in action. If someone has something broke, help them fix it if you can. Share with those in need. I mean, the list is endless. By the way, Peter didn't just make this up himself. He's not like saying, what what does holiness look like? What is the mark of a true Christian? Uh, I think it's love. No, he got it from Jesus. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, the night he instituted the Lord's Supper communion, the night he washed his disciples' feet, including Judas, Peter heard these words from the mouth of Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you see that Jesus is essentially saying he is giving the world permission to judge the genuineness of our faith by how we treat one another? How do you know you love God? By loving God's people. By loving God's people. This is what holiness looks like. This is a major part of what holiness looks like. So I'm asking you, how are you doing in this? Are you loving your church family? Are you loving the body of Christ? is it genuine love? Is it sincere love? Is it love from a pure heart? You're not looking for something in return? Is it sacrificial love where it gives up something? Is it generous love? I'll just say this. Our church is an amazingly loving church. I've seen love in action in so many different ways when someone is hurting this church comes alongside them because it comes alongside them and bears their burden when someone is caught up in sin brothers and sisters come alongside them warn them exhort them pray for them and help point them to jesus the one who can purify their heart When someone is confused about the faith they patiently walk through life with them helping them when when, i've seen it over and over you give physically you give spiritually you give emotionally and i praise god for this church because you have loved me and my family well in the process peter says christian this kind of love is so beyond what you can do in the flesh that it actually requires a new birth and that's exactly what, he, what God has done. He says, we are born again, verse 23. Born anew, not of perishable sea, but of imperishable. In other words, we're all born physically, but we know that these bodies wear out. We know that they don't last forever. But Peter's saying, we have a new birth spiritually that gives us eternal life. Not not life here on earth that ends, but an eternal life that never ends. A life that cannot die, and it's the very life of Jesus Christ. And so the command is to love, and the power to love comes from God's gift of new life, your salvation. And as he says that, he then jumps into the next point, that God's word in you produces this new life. God's word produces this new life in you. He said, where do we get this new life from? If God's, if God, if new life leads to love, where did this new life come from? That's what Peter says. We've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. The Bible, God's word. He says the, the word is living. Meaning it has divine power to give new life. And the word is abiding, which means once this word creates new life in us, it has the power to sustain that life forever. I want you to see Peter's logic here, because for for, for me this week, it was hard to see him navigating until I kind of put it together. We're called to love, but we can't love without life, right? Dead people can't love. You need to have life. You need to have spiritual life. You need the power to, to, to love. And so God graciously gives us new life. How does he give us that new life? Through his word, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we receive this new life through faith in the word, this word will lead to us loving each other. Because God is love. And Peter then quotes in verse 24 and 25, he quotes Isaiah 40 six through eight which contrasts the fleeting nature of our physical bodies and the eternal nature of god's word what he's doing here is he's elevating god's word even over these physical bodies he's saying listen i know your bodies are sinful and they are failing and they are frail and they will eventually wear out but he reminds us the word of god will last forever It is neither faulty like our bodies, nor frail and fleeting. It will endure. It is pure. It is perfect. It is strong. It will never fail. That's the beauty and wonder of God's word. Peter says, don't you see? The word is good news. That's verse 25. It's good news because it creates new life for those who believe it. It's good news because it changes us to be more like Jesus which is to say, more loving. And he says, now, now Christians, you have this supernatural ability to love others deeply from the heart. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to cover up. Even those who are hard to love, you can now love. Even those for whom it is costly to love, you can now love because the word has changed you. It has given you new life. And the very life you've been given is a life that has to love. It's the very thing it was created to do. Are you in all the fact that God's word produces eternal life in your soul? Nothing else in the world can do that. A new car can't do that. A new suit or new skirt can't do that. A new job can't do that. Even a relationship can't do that. Only God's word, the good news of his word, changes us, produces new life. That's why Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you cherish this word? Listen, do you cherish this book? I once heard a missionary share about how in, it was in Indonesia, in a very deep Muslim community, and he had gone in to, to, to be a missionary, to live among the people, and then very few people turned to Christ, but one of them was a very old man, and, and he was given a copy of the Bible and all he was doing was reading it, and, and they created these bogus charges, and they led him before this court, and the missionaries put on trial, and eventually they put his coworker, who was an Indonesian uh, missionary, he was put in jail, and this old man was put on trial, and they questioned him, and they and they grilled him, and eventually they decided that the man didn't do anything wrong by this book, and he was. They said to him, the judge says, "All right, you may go. This other person is going to go to jail, but you may go, old man." And the old man looked up at the at the podium because. That that's where his Bible was. He had never had a Bible in his life. He's in his 70s or 80s. And he looks at it. And he looks at the judge. And the judge realizes he's not leaving without that Bible. This judge hates Christianity and will send his coworker, this Christian missionary, to jail for years after that point. But this guy won't leave without his Bible. And the judge finally says, here. And the man literally takes the Bible. And he holds it to his chest. And he looks as if he was, been, he was given a million dollars. And he smiles and he walks out of that courtroom as if he was the, the greatest, he would been given the greatest gift ever. And in reality, he had been. He had been. And yet we could care less sometimes about the Bible. I just wanted to be precious to you. I want you to see how good it is. I want you to not feel guilty to read God's word. I want you to feel compelled to read it. This word gives life. It it leads to love. If you're a Christian, your eternal destiny has been changed because you heard this word. And the last lesson, delight in God's word and grow. Delight in God's word and grow. Peter says, if this all sounds really lofty, let me bring this down to earth. Right? The command is to love new life has to lead to love you get this new life from god's word if it sounds like he's up in the clouds thirty thousand feet he says all right boom i'll bring it right down to earth you want me to put it right on ground level here it is here's what it looks like you want you want to know what this looks like on the ground level verse one of chapter two so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander he's saying these are the opposite of love Malice is anger and bitterness towards someone because they really let you down. It's one thing to be angry at someone because they hurt you. It's another thing to have hatred in your heart towards someone like your mother or your father or your coworker or your very husband because they have wounded you so deeply. There's hatred in your heart. There's evil in your heart toward that person. That's malice. Deceit, it's lying, covering up. We lie when we're not satisfied with what we have. So we make ourselves look better. Hypocrisy goes alongside with deceit. It means being two-faced. We act like we're one thing when really we're not. Envy is not satisfied with what you have. Always longing for what someone else has. Slander. Speaking bad about someone in order to tear them down. Or finding some some level of joy or satisfaction in their struggle, their pain. If you notice, all of these sins are sins that hurt our relationships and destroy community. That's why he says, put away, notice, put away all malice all deceit all slander why why not just say put away malice and slander? why all because he wants to emphasize even allowing a little bit of uh, of these uh, to take residence in your heart even in the smallest amount it's like putting poison in your soul you can't earnestly love when these are present listen to me some of you and i know this some of you have malice towards your spouse I've pastored here long enough to hear it and to witness it. And it's destroying your marriage. And you think it's all your spouse's fault. And if they will change this, then everything will get better. And maybe they do need to change. But your malice toward your spouse is like pouring lighter fluid all over a woodpile. And then you wonder why the smallest spark would cause such a large fire. Some of us struggle with hypocrisy. We don't want to let others know how we're really doing. We're afraid of what they'll say, how they'll treat us, and so we cover up. Slander. Good grief. This is like, this is like the sin of our generation. This is Social media, it seems now, was made for slander. He said, well, I'm not on social media. That means I'm not slandering. No, no, no. I've heard you slander one another. People slander, the past. over the years, I've, people slander pastors like it's their job. It's weird. They're pastors' wives even. You wonder why, are, why I read an article this week, more pastors are going to leave the ministry in this next year after COVID than any other time in history is what they predict. Now, I'm not going anywhere. None of us are going anywhere. Pray for us. You wonder why. Please. Please. I'm begging you. Explore your heart. Be honest with yourself. You say, what about you, Mark? Here, You know what I struggle with? I struggle with envy. I'm not exempt from these sins. This week I had to spend time confessing the sin of envy, I struggle with wanting what others have around me. When all my college friends are graduate, graduate at the same time and they're in different points of their career and they're at different levels of, of economic status and all that stuff, I, I start to want those things. I start to wonder, why can't I have those things? It's poison to my soul. Peter says, put them away. Put away these sins. But the word put away is a word picture. It means take off a piece of clothing. Take it off, he says. Throw it away. Take it off. You don't keep this around. If this is slander, Mark, if this is envy, then Mark, take it off and throw it away. I don't want it. I don't need it. I shouldn't have it on. He says, don't hang it up in a closet and use it later. Don't fold it and put it in your drawer for later use. Don't just try to put it under the socks and maybe you'll forget it's there. No, you know it's there. And you know when you need to pull it out. He says, put it away, be done with it. He said, but how? It's not easy to put sin away. It keeps creeping up in our hearts. It feels like I've thrown it away, but all of a sudden it just, there it is back in my closet. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? I thought I put that thing away. How do you put them away? As you pursue earnest love from a pure heart. In other words, Peter will answer in verse two, how do you grow up spiritually? Look at verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it it may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. Peter likens us as Christians to newborn infants. He doesn't mean we're immature or that we're new Christians. He's simply giving us an image of what it looks like as Christians to earnestly desire God's word, like a newborn infant desires milk. Our next door neighbors just had a baby a few weeks ago. And he's so stinking cute. I love babies. I want to kiss him and hug him. I can't do it because of COVID. So I have to, uh, from across the fence, I'm like looking at him and doting on him. But man, as cute as that baby is, and I, I've seen him several times when he just woken up and he's, you know, he's quiet and still, but I just saw him recently and he was hungry. And it reminded me how needy babies are. Babies require and demand milk all the time. all day and even all night. Why not just all day? Like sleep at night and then, no, all day, all night, and I don't even know this half as much as my, my wife knows this. but I do know it, they cry, and they don't say, "Please can I have milk?" They are screaming until they're fed. Why? Because they don't know when it, they don't know how else to express. They need it. They literally need that milk to survive. Nothing can replace it, and nothing else can do what that can do for them. That milk is the one thing the baby needs to grow. Newborn infants, notice what he says, long for milk. That word long means to desire with great intensity. Long for the pure spiritual milk. This isn't how other New Testament writers, when they talk about milk versus meat, that's not how Peter is describing God's word. When he says the pure spiritual milk, he's referring to all of God's word. He's saying just like babies long, desperately long and need milk to survive and grow. Christian, you need spiritual milk, the word of God to survive and grow. Do you desire God's word with that kind of intensity? Because here's what his point is. By the grace of God, through the very word of God, you can grow. You can change. You can grow up, notice what he says, into salvation. He's saying, take heart, Christian. I'm commanding you to do something that's actually possible imagine the bible commanding us to do something we can't do that would be crushing wouldn't it the law itself commands something that it doesn't have power to do but the gospel of jesus christ when you understand the gospel receive the gospel when you hear the commands of god you can know whatever god has commanded he has also empowered for you to do christian if god's word is living and abiding if the word of the lord remains forever and my exhortation to you today is this stay grounded in God's word. Stay grounded in it. Invest in what will last forever. If you're looking to get a good return on investment, if you're that kind of type, then just think you can't get a better return than this. You might do well in the stock market. Maybe you're into real estate. That's fine. But listen, nothing will get you the return as this. Feast on it. As David says, your word is is better than honey from the honeycomb, meaning it's sweet. Or Solomon says, your word is more valuable than rubies or gold or a a great 401k. Read it, study it, meditate on it, memorize it. Hey, do you know that we actually memorize scripture as a church each week? Did you know that? You say, I know Awana does it. Yep, they do. Awana, U-turn, 24 24/7. they all memorize scripture. They're all encouraged to get God's word in their hearts. But even as adults, every week we have what's called fighter verses. We take a passage and, and more recently what we've done is we take a section of scripture and we're saying, hey, memorize this section with us together. Memorize 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. How are you doing? Are you doing it? Start with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you, I mean, think about if you memorize that, how amazing those truths are. God why would you do it? Because God's word produces faith. And genuine faith leads to acts of love. God's word changes how we think. It even changes how we feel. You say my emotions are what they are. No, they're not. God's word by his spirit can change how you feel. How you respond, how you live. The lay elders and deacons were meeting this past Sunday night, and we were looking at this passage together and discussing it. And one of the deacons shared how he got saved later in life. And he, and he said, you know, for, up until I was 30, I was not living as a Christian. I was living almost anti-Christian he said but when when i heard the gospel when i received jesus as savior and i began to read and study god's word and he got emotional he said god's word radically changed my life my relationships changed how i spoke changed how i lived changed everything and as he was sharing i was thinking you that is exactly what peter is saying it's the very proof that what he's saying is true and I bet every one of us would have a testimony if I asked you to share because God's Word is that powerful it can give and empower love it can cause you to resist temptation I can say this with full confidence. If you will commit to spending time in God's word daily, and I'm looking to children and adults. I don't care if you're four or five years old, six years old, 37 years old, 77, 87. I know we got all ages here. If you will commit to spending daily time in God's word, you will grow. You will change. I'm not a prophet. I just know God's word will not return void, Isaiah tells us. It will accomplish exactly what he set out for it to do. And God's word is meant to change lives. It's like milk for a baby. It can't not change that baby and grow it. I love where Peter lands. Grow up into your salvation. Have this pure spiritual milk if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good today? Especially in the good news of Jesus. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Notice he, does, he doesn't say, have you read the Bible? That's important. Notice he doesn't say, have you affirmed God's word is true? That's important. That's not what he's saying here. Because that's not, that's not, that's not going to draw you in. He's saying, listen, the only thing that'll, that'll compel you to feast on God's word is if you've already at least tasted that he's good. If you've had a taste. Has has your heart experienced the satisfaction of knowing Christ through His Word? Has Jesus become more desirable than anything else in the world because you've seen Him and experienced Him in His Word? You see, the greatest truth about God's Word is that through the Word, you get to experience God Himself. The word is not an end of its, to itself. The word is the window by which you get to see God and experience God. You'll notice in Peter's letter as we go throughout it that he'll go back and forth between the word of God and Jesus. Almost, almost like he sees them as the same thing. By the way, I love hearing babies. All right? If you hear a baby and a child, in your heart you say amen. All right? And you remember, they're, they're hungry for milk. I'm hungry for milk too. Verse 23, notice, imperishable word. Then in chapter 2, verse 3, he's talking about the word being spiritual milk. And then he says, but, and you're tasting that the Lord is good. Wait, I thought he was talking about the word. Now he's talking about the Lord. And then in verse 4, which we didn't read, as you come to him, a living stone, he, just, he jumps right into Jesus. You see what He's doing. According to Peter, there's no distinction between the Word of God and Jesus. Why? Because the Bible is the written Word of God and Jesus is the living Word of God. And the written Word is all about the living Word. Verse 25, and this Word is the good news preached to you. He doesn't even allow us to kind of get away out of that interpretation. He always points the word back to Jesus, back to the good news. You see, what is the good news? The good news of Christianity is that Jesus, even though we have sinned, even though we have, have, have hearts full of malice and envy and deceit and hypocrisy and slander, it, God, it, God in his grace has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And, he, and he, it's not anything we do. It's Jesus coming down to earth as the perfect God-man and living the life you and I should have lived, but couldn't. He was perfect. No malice in Jesus, no hypocrisy. I mean, it's really stunning when you read the Gospels. You see someone who has complete humility, and yet he's, he's not like kind of like embarrassed about it. You read someone who's incredibly strong and courageous, but he's not overbearing. He's the perfect human, and yet he's murdered on a cross unjustly, He dies on the cross, not because of what he did, but because of what you and I did. He took our sins on the cross. He took our punishment. He died the death you and I should have died, bearing all the guilt and all the shame of our sin. Jesus bore that for us. And then he rose from the dead victorious over sin and death. Why? Proving that not only can Jesus give us forgiveness of all of these sins and more, but he can actually grant us the gift of eternal life. That's the good news. And you receive it by faith when we admit, these sins are in my heart, I can't, I can't save myself, I can't live any differently, and we do like that deacon I, I just shared, when we say, I can't do this, Jesus, I need you, and then he comes in, and he trans- transforms us by faith in his grace, and then we realize I'm now a child of God. I've been adopted into his family. He has purified my soul, as Peter says. He has set me apart. He has caused me to be born again spiritually. Listen, when you realize that, when that is true, when you understand that he promises that as you long for his word, he would change you into a more loving person and grow you up into the image of his son, Jesus, you'll realize It is good news. It really is. Listen, if Jesus himself, when he was tempted in the wilderness, if he himself said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. If he lived by that, how much more us, his followers? Do you believe this? Do you believe we don't live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God? That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And when you get God's word in you and that through his new life, it will lead to a more loving life. This is the power of God's word to change us both now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We admit that. We can't get around our neediness and yet lord it is in your kindness that you say come unto me all you who are weary and needy and heavy burdened and you will give us rest father for every person who has not trusted jesus as savior maybe they're here maybe they're watching online maybe they know a lot about jesus maybe they've heard about christianity Maybe their families told them about you, but Lord, they have not committed their lives to you. They have not received your gift. I pray right now that they would pray in faith, that they would turn from anything that they've been trusting in and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation. And for every believer who is listening, God, make us, make us more into the image of your Son make us a loving people help the world see if they're going to criticize us for anything help them to start criticizing us for being too loving so loving that we want their ultimate good make us a people who want to show that we care about the ultimate good of one another God this is hard we admit we're going to struggle to the day you come but Lord we also know that you are able you are able to do what you command you are able to empower what you call us to so Lord make this church into a beautiful apologetic for the gospel as Francis Schaeffer said may we And our love be the final apologetic for why the gospel is not just true, but it is real and it changes lives. All glory be to you, Lord, for you are good and your word endures forever. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.